I think that's the kind of the newest thing, you know, to come about, you know, from a legislative standpoint. It's like if you can't beat them in the legislature, you know, you know, beat them in the pocketbook, you know, start slamming the company, start demanding that they, you know, you know, that, you know, that they take stands on issues that they've never, you know, that they've never stood on. And I was like, and I was like, I don't think that they need to comment until either their customers or their, you know, or their client, you know, or their employees are asking them to make those. And then, so to me, it's, it's like, do what you think is right or what you've continued to doing until someone actually involved with what you're doing is asking that. And right now, I don't think for at least here in Texas, a lot of times that that really is the case. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Business leaders spend an inordinate amount of our time ensuring that our decisions and operations comply with local, state, and federal laws and regulations. But many of us have precious little understanding of how those laws and regulations actually get made and how best to influence those decision makers. To help us better understand how and why businesses should be involved in politics, I'm joined today by Kathy DeWitt. Kathy is a public policy analyst and lobbyist with the Schleter Group in Austin, Texas, where she represents business interests before the state legislators and state agencies. Her legislative expertise covers all areas of business, from labor law to health care to criminal justice reform. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Kathy. Good morning, Mike. Good to be here. So for starters, talk to me about what you actually do as a public policy analyst and lobbyist for your clients? Well, in the simplest um, form, I always say the lobbyist's biggest job is to hurry up and wait. Uh, We rush to the Capitol and then we wait a long time. But for clients, what we do is make sure that when business decisions are being made at a legislative level, it's that business is at the table. And not just a business in general, but the specific business, because every industry, every business is very nuanced. And so when a client hires us, it's to make sure that they're not legislated out of business. And 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 then it has happened and can happen. And that's the biggest danger when you have a legislature that meets every two years and the legislators are part-timers. They have real jobs and families outside of Austin. And so you need someone there full time who can really um, monitor and, you know, and talk to legislative staff every single day to make sure that you're represented well. So like Texas meets every two years for what, five, six months, and then sometimes seven, eight, nine months, depending how many special sessions we have. And other states have their own rhythm, and then Congress seems to always be meeting. But if a body's not in session, if it's an off year in Texas, let's say, during the interim, does that mean that there's nothing happening and we should just wait till we see what bills get filed uh, at the beginning of the session? 
Oh, absolutely not. Um, so right now, um, they um, every the House and the Senate both have interim committee hearings. And those hearings, they meet just like you would during a legislative session, but instead of bills, they're concepts and issues. And they're ones that you would not, that they're more difficult. You wouldn't um, explain, you wouldn't be able to explain during a legislative session or it's, um, or it's monitoring bills passed from the last session. It's like, did we get it right? Does this bill uh, do more harm than good? You know, uh, it's really, once they pass a bill, they don't just leave it there. The legislature monitors and assesses if this bill it did what it was supposed to do because uh, every bill, almost every bill will have sometimes unintended consequences. And so you're going to have to tweak that. So there's a huge assessment, um, you know, after a bill is implemented. Also, uh, then you, after a bill is passed, uh, usually then it doesn't just then there and just say it's passed. It goes into effect. There's usually a rulemaking process. So um, especially like if healthcare bills, any type of insurance, anything that's very complicated, not every single thing can, you know, uh, you can't put every single detail in a bill. And so, because they're not experts. So they leave it and direct a regulatory agency to implement the rules and the regulations um, that, and, and then the bill's fully formed. So there's a lot of monitoring of those things. And you basically have another you know, opportunity to fight how the, that rule and that bill is crafted. So during the interim between sessions then, does, are you saying that like all the education uh, or a lot of the education for the legislators is happening really when very few people are paying attention um, and they're and so they've they've often think they understand an issue pretty well before the session starts. Oh no, definitely so. I mean, if you're starting to legis, um, if you're starting your first contact with the legislator at the beginning of session, you're too late. I mean, uh, bill filing starts early November, but remember, you even have to back that out to get a bill filed. You also have to, it has to go through drafting, so you have to go through leg council, legislative council, which is you know how um, every legislator will get have an attorney draft their bill. Um, and so, but so an office will have to decide the concepts of bill, bring it to legislative council to draft the bill, and then they'll be able to file it starting in November. So that's a huge you know huge process that's starting, and then the budget is so huge. The committees and subcommittees on finance are already starting to meet as well. So uh, um, you have to, if if you're wanting, you know, tax relief, a tax exemption, that work should have already started. I mean, you should have already laid the groundwork, figured out where, you know, if you're if you're wanting a tax exemption, where is that money going to come from? You know, how how is that going to be paid for? So uh, I say the work almost really starts the fall after a legislative session um, to if you're really wanting to represent your clients in the best way. So if I'm a business owner and or a business leader and I want to reach out uh, and have some influence on that decision making, um, does it make sense? I mean, you know, we always hear from, you know, our trade associations and groups to, you know, we need you to call your legislator. Or, you know, or just fill out this online form and tell, you know, to show them that you're opposed to this. 
in reality, how effective is, is you know, are different kinds of outreach to, to legislators? Well, I definitely don't think patch through calls that a lot of groups do are, um, are helpful or impactful. And a patch through call is basically, you know, you have a call center and uh, you'd be like, and um, you say, Senator so-and-so is trying to pass a bill that's going to destroy health care. And he's like, will you be willing to call his office and, you know, tell him how horrible, you know, this bill is going to be? So then they patch him through to that office and it never fails. Half the time, it's some elderly person who has no idea what they're actually calling on, you know, and they're just like, I don't know really what I'm talking about, but we just want the killing to stop. Whatever it is, we just want it to stop. (laughs) And so, um, you know, so the worst thing you can do is just irritate an office with a lack of information. Um, but, and, um, but if, a, if you call with no existing relationship and say, we don't like this bill, we don't think it's good for us, they will tally it and monitor. I mean, they're going to be like, if, if they're not a constituent, that call is void. I mean, it doesn't matter. If they're not a constituent of that district, it's a polite, thank you for your call. Um, if, uh, if they don't know you, but you are a constituent, they'll keep a tally and say, yep, you had a constituent. We have 20 constituents who like this bill. We've had two have called who don't like it. And then, you know, a legislator will at least, he will at least look at that and, and see if constituents are calling about a bill. But the most impactful thing you can do is to get to know your legislators and their staff before a legislative session. So you can be like, hey, Amanda, uh, this is so-and-so from the district. How you doing? I was like, we've got a real big concern about a bill. That's impactful. That's what makes a difference. So just like lobbyists need to do their do the homework and start the you know the work with their clients, so do business owners who just want to be engaged in the process. You got to start that early, and that's by meeting your legislator, attending their events, getting to know their staff. Uh, I mean, those they want to hear from people like that because legislators don't vote their districts; they vote their voters. And um, so you need to be the voter in your district who is also building that relationship with you. Um, and so they're they're going to listen to the people who come to the most, who educate them the most, and um, and those who actually go out to vote and you know, go out to vote in their district. I mean, at the end of the day, that's who they have to listen to. So do they actually look at that? Do they actually look? Okay, you know, uh, you know this. You know, Mike Coffey, this nut job just, you know, reached out to us. And does he actually vote? Does he actually show up and vote? Do they even do they really consider that? Or is it is it just do they assume that if I'm showing up at these events that I'm I'm an I'm an actual voter? If you're showing up at an event, you're probably voting. I mean, you know, so I think there's an assumption that's made. And I think it's more influential of like if it's the trends. You look more at the trends. It's like, you know you after you win an election you are looking at those numbers you're like what counties voted for me what are those demographics how many republicans voted for me how you know how many democrats what are important you know issues from the in those areas uh you because a lot of times you can tell trends from it's just like well you know the people in you know tom green county were very upset that they had you know closures you know you know, air, you know maybe there was a air force base closure or the, an attempt to so you understand that and you know that when you see like a big you know jump in voting from that area it's because you use the right words because you did your you know your research 
and you know that that's what they care about. And so that's what you did your platform on that at all costs, they want, you know, Air Force Base not to be closed or something like that. So, yeah, they do a lot of research. And so they know their voters already and they know who got and they know they know who got them to the table. And so and and legislators do respect that. I mean, um, uh, they vote their they vote their districts. And when I, when I say vote their districts, they vote the people in their districts who actually get out and vote. So. Does making a political contribution to a legislator really make a difference? Um, I mean, certainly, I guess every dollar in their in their war chest helps them. But um, is it better to contribute to a industry pack, a political action committee, or to give directly as an individual? Or how 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 impactful is giving, and and what's the best way to do it? I do think that industry packs are very important. If your main objective is for your industry to be represented well in a legislative session, then you should do that. If it's a it's about your business in your district and you have very localized um yeah, if, if you have very localized uh, things that you're wanting to do, then you should be giving an individual contribution. Uh, so it's really if you're like looking at more of something of a statewide impact, um, you know, versus, you know, a community impact. I think that's how you should really decide those things. Is it fair based on uh, a, a, a politician's party affiliation? Uh, is it wise? And maybe not fair, but is it wise to assume that they're going to have a certain position related to business or healthcare or criminal justice or whatever based on their party affiliation or or? Are the parties so weird now and so muddled that uh, that you can't really make those distinctions? And so even if I think, oh, well, this guy's, you know, this other party and, uh, you know, they're traditionally not our friends. Should, does that mean I shouldn't even reach out to them? No, I think that's the biggest mistake that people make is you should, you know, you should reach out to the other parties, even if you think that, you know, the answer, because. You know, every bill, you know, I think, you know, a lot of things sound like great ideas. I said, but, you know, but then when you get into, well, how do you pay for this? You know, where are you going to get the money from? You know, you know, and those things, those are, that's where everything kind of, kind of crumbles. And so um, I think it's very important, even if you assume what, you know, someone is going to be philosophically against what you're doing. There's not some middle ground. Um, I like to tell clients, I'm like, well, let me know what you want to do. Do you want to be right or do you want to pass a bill? I mean, those are the two nods. You can be right and you can just be angry and just be like, you know, and, you know, make a stand, maybe, you know, you know, argue on social media. I was like, but that's not going to get you anywhere. But if you really want to pass a bill, you can talk about policies and impact and, you know, and you know, take the time to learn um, a legislator's, you know, um, you know, his priorities for his district. I mean, the first thing when I, you know, go to a fundraiser or anything, and it's like, what do you want to pass this session? What do you want to do? It's like, what are, you know, what is your district really, you know, what what's really important for your district? And if you can somehow relate it, you know, to some of their own priorities of how it might impact that, you know, that's a way you can really, you know, resonate. I mean, I think it's just same with sales. I mean, at the end, you know, it's, you know, in some ways it is a sale job, but as, as, as well as an education job. 
And, um, and, you know, when it comes to business, remember, you know, is, you know, we talk about it because, you know what, everyone in Texas wants to create more good paying jobs in Texas. That's what we want. Who's against that? And so you make sure that there's these common, you know, you know, you know, common ground. And there certainly is for business. I mean, everyone wants to support, you know, um, as you and I remember, Bill Hammond used to always talk about Ed's welding shop. And that was his. And I was actually at an event uh, um, last Thursday and it was a Democrat from your area um, you know, a Democrat from your area. And he's like, you know. That used to drive me crazy, but he's like, you know who I really relate to, Ed. He goes, I want to meet that guy because he works really story. hard. Yeah, yeah. Tell, 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 still Bill, Bill Hammond's story. And tell that. <laughs> so Bill Hammond used to be the president of the Texas Association of Business, which you know is a great organization. Everyone should be a part of. But the Texas he State was, Chamber of Commerce, right? And he was really smart because the one thing he understand is that everyone loves a small business. And so Bill Hammond, basically in every piece of testimony that he ever testified, it didn't matter if it was a healthcare bill, an employment law bill. He talked about Ed from Ed's Welding Shop. Now, Ed's Welding Shop is not an actual business. We've looked. There is no Ed's Welding Shop. We were hoping that there was. But... What Ed symbolized is something that every legislator could relate to. And um, and so, and Bill Hammond knew that. And so everything is piece, it's a prime example of, of finding common ground and then, and then launching off instead of just going in there. How dare you work on this? How dare you do these things? As you really talk about, you know, the common goals of like, what's important to all of us? I was like, you know what? We want our kids to be well-educated. We want them to, and you know, go off to college. We want Ed, even though you know his profit margins are small, that we he can send his kids to a good college, and that he can he can dance at his daughter's wedding and actually pay for the wedding and not be in debt for the rest of the year. And him and the wife can um, get the kids off, and they can you know support themselves, and they can go on that cruise that they finally wanted to go on. And all of a sudden. It's not about the power of business, but it's about every individual. And that is, has always kind of stuck with me as an, a lobbyist because it's not a story. It's not an idea. It's, it's very, it, it, it's what we're all striving for here in Texas. And I think that when we make it about a people instead of politics, that's what, you know, is really going to resonate. Yeah, I think at least in some parts of uh, of our society, there's this idea that politics, uh, you know, that business owns politics and, and we get whatever we want as, as you know, whatever business asks for, uh, the politicians just give it to us. But, I mean, I know a lot of business owners and business leaders who are always, you know, you know, feel at risk from either a state agency or or some bill or some legislator's idea, um, and and you know, I don't, you know, I when when I advocate at the legislature, I'm advocating on behalf of you know a couple hundred clients of my own who we try to serve, and I, I need the laws to to support our ability to serve them, my own employees, make sure they there's you know, food, food on their tables, uh, you know, after this bill is passed or doesn't pass, 
Um, and, and, you know, and also for my community, I mean, I don't think any of us can have a, you know, a healthy community without uh, business. And I think the idea of, you know, these big corporations running everything, uh, you know, certainly they, you know, they've got money and they probably get a little bit more platform, but certainly in the work we've done together through the Texas Association of Business and, and uh, other efforts, um, you know, I've seen plenty of business, you know, small businesses, medium-sized businesses uh, really take take the lead on, on, on issues. So these events to go that, that we should attend to, you know, to get to know our, our legislator, uh, are these all necessarily fundraisers or are there other kinds of events where we can meet them without having our name on their donor rolls? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, you're going to see a legislator at every local chamber event. Um, you're going to, you know, you're going to see them at openings of, you know, of businesses and other things. And honestly, if you reach out and invite a legislator to something, he's probably going to show up. Um, you know, if given, you know, enough time, you know, if there's something that's just like, oh, yeah, we, you know, there's a lot of different things that they will attend. And, um, and just of having trying to organize other events, um, a legislator is going to cancel someone else if, and uh, because constituent trumps, you know, anything else happening, you know, unless it's really physically I'm in a committee hearing. And so constituents have a lot of power to get involved. And, you know, you just have to make those little efforts, whether you want it to be through your local chamber or any other organization that you're active in, the most likely that legislator is also going to be active in that organization. And uh, so it doesn't have to be just a fundraiser. And you can call his district office and just say, hey, I'd love to talk to him. I mean, I mean, they'll totally do that. If they pawn you off on their staff, is that a slight or is is that the same as, as helping educate the, the legislator? Um, no, it's not a slight. I think that it's just as important to get to know um, in staff. And in fact, sometimes people kind of overlook um, staff. I My first year lobbying I overlooked staff for a brief moment until I was in my place. And I was so excited because a legislator actually called me into his office and I just kind of walk right in there, barely talk to staff. And, um, and the, the chief of staff, I saw him at an event the next day and he, and, and he basically, I don't want to say on this podcast what he called me, but it was not, <laughs> um, it wasn't one of the nicest things. And what I realized is like in the, so much focusing on talking to the legislator, I basically alienated the people who would actually be, you know, booking, you know, so, um, you know, booking appointments, deciding on legislation. And so I definitely focus more on staff and respect the process of um, talking to even if I'm a friends with a legislator. I make sure if I um, I will text them if I have something I'm like, hey, how are you? But if I have a legislative issue to talk to them, I will go through their staff and make that appointment. So one that they're in the loop, it never appears that they're going outside because they're just they're just an extension. You know, they're an extension of the legislator. Again, a legislator has a full time job and he's trying to do that job when he's not in session. 
So a staffer is, their staffers are full-time. So they're the people, you know, they're depending on staffers to really tell them what they should be doing. So they should not be overlooked, nor should you feel slighted, um, even though both are important to know. And and you've mentioned a couple of times that these legislators have full-time jobs. And what you're talking about is they've got a job that's actually paying their bills because at least in Texas, and I think in most other places, they're not getting rich being legislators. What is what does a legislator in Texas typically make? What's how does that work? What's well, a per diem? So I mean, like you know, so you during session, I think it's what mm-hmm. three hundred bucks a day. Um, if they now in um, so it's definitely a labor of love. It's going to take a special occupation. You know, he'll be able to do that. Um, you know, a lot of the doctors almost take kind of le- that are legislators. You know honestly have to take, you know, small leaves of absence, you know, from their practices. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard and it takes commitment, you know, from these guys to do that, do that. So, and so you also have to remember that when you're talking about business issues, remember these guys are all small business owners too, because usually you're going to have to be an owner. Uh, you're not going to be working at a call center because there's no way what you know, there's no way that you're going to be able to get off of work to come to the Texas legislature, you know, for six months. So usually you're in a, a position of either ownership or you're an attorney who is self-employed. Uh, so you're really kind of tra- talking when you're trying to sell that, you know, sell your issues. You're talking to someone who understands, you know, and has signed both sides of a paycheck. So, you know, they, they get, what they get the business nuances. So you just have to, you know, but remember every single business is hitting them, you know, with different, you know, with different things. And so it's, uh, so the question is like, you know, how, you know, how do we talk above the noise of all of the business issues? Cause it's very overwhelming. I mean, and how do you decide what's important, what's not? And, and, and so, and I think that's where the relationship part, you know, really comes in um, them knowing their districts. Uh, so if, uh, you know, so employment law, very important to you, um, you know, and, uh, and uh, so, you know, the first thing I do for you know, my clients is let's see who is on the committee, you know, for that does employment law, like house business and industry. And then I would hope that there was someone on house business industry that's in your district, you know, and that's the first thing that'd be like is develop that relationship, you know, educate them on the issues because they will take time for a constituent um, who, who will actually educate them on, they'll actually appreciate, they'll appreciate that. And especially if they're on a committee that works on those issues. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. Premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 45 and enter the keyword DeWitt. That's D-E-W-I-T-T. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. I have 10 hours of recorded webinars, each approved for an hour of recertification credit by both HRCI and SHRM. Three are even approved for HRCI business credit and one qualifies for ethics credit. 
You can access all of these webinars for free at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Kathy DeWitt. So is it true that once the legislative session starts, there's more effort put into killing bills than passing bills by the advocacy you know, part of uh, the market? No, actually it's not true, but what is true, it's partly true. What is a fact is the legislature was, uh, the legislature is set up for bills to die. I mean, that its intent just by the way of process is supposed to weed out and kill bills. So a lot of times you can just, uh, a lot of times at the beginning of session, you know, there, you know, there'd be a client, oh my God, this is the worst bill. I'm like, it has a high number. It's not an actual ledge council draft. I said, you know, the odds of some, you know, something like that, you, so you should just wait and see. And a lot of times <laughs> there's an incredible amount of work that um, can be done by just waiting in the, in the session because, the and, you know the system itself is set up to kill things. So if you know if you have to pass a bill, that's going to be your hardest thing. Uh, is like because you're already you, you already have the whole system you know against you. So you really have to set yourself apart to pass a bill. What is what do you mean by uh, it's got a high bill number or it, it's it's drafted by ledge committee versus what what is what's the alternative to that? Well, uh, well, you know. If there's a bill that has a low bill number, um, that it was, um, you know, that it was, you know, it already went through the legislative council by attorneys to be drafted. You know, a lot of work already went into that bill, so you know that it means something to someone. Someone's going to work really that means hard it was, on this bill. That means it was filed early. Is that what it is? I mean, is the first bill filed? Bill number one. The second bill filed by some no. rando legislature. Bill two. Or how do those numbers happen? <laughs> Well, no, they save a, for, um, a certain number of bills for the real critical bills. So the tax bill is going to be a low number. So uh, so during last session, a lot of the, you know, energy, electricity bills, those would be low numbers. So it would go on whatever the lieutenant governors and the speakers bill priorities, those are going to get the lowest numbers. Then what happens after that? So I think bill filing starts, I think, November 9th. Then... Um, there are certain like there's a Senate office who has a, has their staffers like basically get in line, you know, six hours before, you know, you can start bill filing to make sure that they get the, the lower numbers. A lower number does indicate you're much more serious about this issue. So say someone files a bill on the last day of session and you I mean, the last day of bill filing um, in a in its bill 4,520. And you can also tell that it didn't go through a legis the legislative council draft that someone just thought of a bill just right now. I mean, there wasn't, the, they didn't do the preparation work that they basically was going, they probably were seeing on TV. They're like, are we in session now? Maybe we should hire someone and get a bill drafted on a really complex topic. And so, they hire a lot. They hire a lobby firm, and, and a lobby firm's like, "Oh my, well, this is the job to do." And, you know, so you have to first just get it. You know, make sure that there's a bill, so you, you know, so you to at least keep the topic moving. Uh, it's like you go ahead and ask. You know, 
ask a legislator or say, I'm so sorry, can you just, can you please just file this bill? And then we'll work on this later. And uh, so when you're looking at all these bills, those are the last ones you're going to worry about. You're going to worry about, you know, this whole other section. Now, every once in a while, and I, you know, every once in a while, there will be one of those really late bills that'll pop up and then become very dangerous. That happened to me two sessions ago. And uh, an office started, you know, this horrible bill started moving. And so it's the first time I come into the office and they're like, wait, well, why have you never come in here? And I'm like, well, because it had a high number and it wasn't even a legislative legislative council draft. I assume you just did it as a favor for someone. I didn't think you were actually going to move it. And uh, but so it's not always typical. Um, um, it's, it's not always typical, but usually, you know, you don't think of those bigger numbers until much later in the session or if they start moving. So this is the French goodbye. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I'm going to ask this big question. It may take us more time. But um, so businesses are getting more and more market pressure and pressure from employee groups to take public policy positions. Uh, the uh, Edelman uh, Trust Survey says that uh, the of all the leaders in society, my CEO is is the most trusted um, of of over you know media my politicians uh, even clergy um, and more and more people are looking to business leaders and businesses to help shape and, and uh, public policy and solve public issues certainly uh, I think there's in a lot of corners a lot more trust and, and uh, faith in business to solve a lot of problems than there is relying straight on government. But we've seen when the, that pressure happens, um, other groups, you know, suddenly respond negatively to that towards that, that business. We've seen in, in Florida, we're seeing uh, the, the uh, uh, executive uh, in Florida taking issues uh, against Disney for their opposition to some bills. Um, so if I'm a business leader and I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I feel this is the right thing to do and maybe I'm getting pressure from some, you know, some, some stakeholders to take a position. What's, what should my considerations be as I, as I try to figure out, you know, how far is too far and dare I do this? Uh, you know, how public should I be? What are, you know, how do I, how do I evaluate that stuff? Well, one, I, I think you have to first assess where's the pressure coming from? You know, a lot of times I know they say it's employees and other things, but usually there's some third party group, not even from Texas, who's established a grassroots campaign to de- make demands of certain companies uh, to make demands of certain companies. And I mean, if that's the case, I'm like, I, I don't I was like, I was like, don't. Yeah, I said, yeah, don't buy those tactics. I mean, I said, who you should be listening to are your state leaders, your employees, and, you know, and, and, you know, and the people who are that you work with in your district. And I said, you know, and all of those other pressures, I, I think more are just based on campaigns because they've lost in a legislative arena. Um, you know, I think that I think that's the kind of the newest thing, you know, to come about, you know, from a legislative standpoint. It's like if you can't beat them in the legislature, you know, you know, beat them in the pocketbook, you know, start slamming the company, start demanding that they, 
you know, you know, that, you know, that they take stands on issues that they've never, you know, that they've never stood on. And I was like, and I was like, I don't think that they need to comment until either their customers or their, you know, or their client, you know, or their employees are asking them to make those. And then, so to me, it's, it's like, do what you think is right or what you've continued to doing until someone actually involved with what you're doing is asking that. And right now, I don't think for at least here in Texas, a lot of times that that really is the case. It's, it's, it's a campaign tactic kind of, I don't know if you remember when, you know, the NRA was um, basically doing billboards, you know, of, you know, of oil and gas companies, not really in Texas, but in other states over gun laws. Um, and so to me, that's a campaign tactic. I mean, and, um, and more than anything. And so I think it, I think it, it would do a company very bad if they know if they know that campaign tactics work as like you, you'll only be you'll always be be making business uh, business decisions for political reasons, and uh, I don't think that's a very impactful way <laughs> to, to be a part of Texas. Yeah, there's a reason we don't negotiate with terrorists, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, and you know, and you know, and as a business lobbyist, I also you know, it's like. I don't negotiate. I don't make bad bills better. You know, I said, that's not my job. I mean, that's not what my clients want just to be liked. I said, we're, you know, we're here to make good policy. I mean, you know, we're not here to make friends. I said, you know, we want to be respected. We want to, you know, and be heard. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have to, you know, represent our clients the best way that we can. So the idea that, uh, you know, this is just a bad bill. And but there's some line where we just say we're not compromising on on this bill just because any compromise is going to take us away from where we think, you know, this this law or, or this lack of a law or this regulation needs to be. And uh, and, and so is compromise is compromise often a bad thing when it comes to legislation or or where does that fall? Where's that line? Well, I think compromise is what you do when you know you're about to lose. I mean, in um, um, I think, <laughs> I mean, I got my new T-shirt. I mean, I'm gonna but, get that one done. Yeah. But you know, yeah. I mean, if you're starting out, um, you know, if you're if you're starting out ready to compromise with people, then to me, that's what tells you is like, I know I'm not going to be able to do this. And uh, I feel like that'd be like going to a, a card car dealer car dealership and already telling them I was like here's my bottom line but by the way I'm, I'm going to be able to go up fifteen thousand dollars more I mean you know that's you know that's how I see it I mean so you go in saying firm you know and but if they you know but I think that's why you know stakeholder meetings are important because you can express you know exactly what you need you can express what how a bill impacts your industry and um, and I think it's a legislator's job then to take all of that information and to craft a bill, you know, doing exactly what he wants to do, but to eliminate the unintended consequences. And that's really the job of you know business lobbyists or any other advocate is like, did you mean did you mean to do this? Because you're you know um, I think I, when there was bills on service animals, I was like, did you mean that someone to have a service lizard? You know, is that what you really wanted to have a service iguana, you know, in your, you know, in your store? So 
or a, you know a service Komodo dragon as you know you're going through you know shopping at Bed Bath and Beyond and you know so those are the things you know that um, if those bills pass it's probably because someone hasn't done their job you know of you know of or of, of laying out um, you know it's like I don't think you really mean to do this so I think that there's there's compromise and then there's tweaking a bill to make sure it doesn't hurt another industry. So I don't think everyone um, really, I don't think that's everyone's philosophy, but it's certainly it's mine. Okay. Last question. Is Twitter a real thing? Do legislators even care what the Twitter mob says? I, I mean, to some extent, I mean, I think, um, I think uh, now I think it's like it's where everyone goes to share their feelings, apparently, you know, without filter. I mean, it, um, but but yes, to some extent, but in a different way. I mean, I think it, everyone sees it through a lens of what it is of just any social media. I kind of equate it to, you know, have you ever seen anyone? And you're like, these people are so happy on Facebook. I'm like, they're exhausting. How can someone be this happy? <laughs> You know, it's just like, and then, um, and then you find out like they're getting divorced, like you know, six months later. And so, I think as long as, as long so as you think you, some of those uh, people on Twitter are actually happy at some point in their life, because they um, all seem angry no, to me. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, you know, and as we get, you know, as we get older, I I went to acupuncture the other day, and this, you know, Doctor Shen like says, you know, he takes my pulse, and uh, and he's like. He goes, you're very angry on the inside. I was like, you know, if you think you're going to be some fortune teller, I was like, I'm a you know, 50 year old menopausal woman. Of course, I'm angry inside. You're going to need to, you know, you're going to need to give me some more information of why I think you're brilliant. But so I think, you know, when you you're go gonna to You're going to need this, a like, bigger you know, needle, buddy. I think like, you're going to need a bigger needle and I need you to tell me something I don't know. I mean, that's really where we're at right now. He's like, oh, okay. Now he does double sessions for me because he's scared of me. But, um, but I think as long as I think, it, you know, as social media or Twitter or anything, as long as you, I think, you know, I think it's helpful. I think you can find out some really good information and legislators do look at it, but I think everyone, most people, are smart enough to look at it through a lens of more entertainment and then sometimes with a nugget of, you know, of value. Um, and, and, uh, I mean, usually I don't know about you, but I just watch it for the fights of, you know, I mean, I mean, I just, I just like to see who's bickering. So it's unfortunate that's what it's turned into, but I mean, that's just where we are today in our culture. That's it. And it kind of goes back to what you what we started with. It's probably more effective to know your legislator, know their staff, have a relationship so you can have an actual conversation before something becomes an issue that's Twitter worthy. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it also goes back to I mean, I think, you know, if you want to advocate on Twitter, that's more about being right than wanting to pass good policy. And um, and so I think that's what it's created. So it just creates a lot of noise. And, but that's what politics is now, you know, in, in some ways. And so God bless the legislators that have to, you know, you know, dig themselves around the noise to really, you know, decide policy matters, you know, cause I say, you know, politics is about what people want to hear and policy is the real truth. I mean, it's just, it, let me repeat that. Okay. Politics is about what politics is about what people want to hear and policy is about what's I mean, policy is the truth 
And I mean, I mean, if you really want to know who a legislator is, look at his bills. Okay. Um, look at what his bills say. I mean, and you know, the politics is, uh, it's been a long time, but you know, almost a lot of legislators, state legislators won because they're like, we're going to fry by Obamacare. And everyone was so scared about Obamacare. Guess what? Texas legislature does nothing. Texas legislature does nothing about Obamacare, but that's what they want to hear. That's, that's what resonated with them. That's what got them out to vote. Right. I mean, and we've seen it with bathroom bills and the Florida don't say gay bill, all, all these. And, and on the, on the, on the left, all kinds of, you know, uh, you know, p- social issues that really aren't going to be decided in, you know, at the local level or at the state level. And, uh, but it, like you say, it gets people fired up and gets them to show up. Right. And, you know, and so, and that's the politics part of it. And so uh, when you get to a legislative session, there's definitely the noise of politics, but everyone truly is there, hopefully to do the job of policy and, you know, and then so at the end of the day, um, you know, you look at the, the policy that was created and, you know, that's why I think holding legislators accountable. I mean, I think that's the other part we didn't talk about here um, that businesses should be doing is holding legislators accountable for their business votes. How would you do that? Well, I think that's where associations come in, um, you know, uh, you know, is that, you know, make sure that they do voting records. Do it, you know, don't don't give out awards just because you you know you want to create a relationship. You give out awards because um, they you know because they you know they voted you know um, for business. Because uh, a lot of times at the end of legislature, you know what you'll see is a swap of votes. I mean, it, you know, because they're like you know my district really wants this bill to pass. They're like, yeah, but I want this bill to pass. And they're like, okay, well I'll vote for this bill if you vote for this bill, but you need to kill this bill. And so at the end, you know, it's very important that legislators know. Yeah, I can't. I can't change my vote on this because there's going to be a business group, and they're and and then and um and they're going to have my score, and the, I think this is going to be on there. So I'm not going to be able to swap that one because I know I'm going to be held accountable to that. And um and so you know it's that type of pressure that you know my, they might still do the same thing, but knowing that there's pressure that someone's watching and that someone cares, um I. It, it will make it, it makes a difference, especially in those last days where, you know, uh, bills are being amended to other bills. Uh, it, you know, it's a crazy time of session that you have to really be watching for. And, um, and so uh, knowing that they're going to be accountable can kind of sometimes change the direction and they'll um, not swap those votes. Cause it's happened to me. I mean, I think uh, SB 14 on the preemption bill um, you know, on um, for you know the cities that I know that you know you've worked on with um, some groups as well. That bill's died the last day like ten times now, and it was it was a political swap. You know, I mean, in, at the end of the day, it's not because I mean, if it had gotten to the floor and it was fully voted on, it would have passed. Yeah, if you want to see something, if you want to make sure some, something dies in calendar committee get me behind it because every time I get behind anything really passionately, it ends up dying in calendar at the very end of session. Well, I always joke too. I mean, it's like, sometimes I'm like, I go, 
I said, if your client wants a bill's pass, make sure I'm on the other side. Uh, you know, so Because sometimes, especially with those really hard bills, you're like, what? Is it opposite day? Um, but, well, I just think you're for very, you know, I, I mean, the bills that you've, you know, been supporting are really hard bills. And it's like, how do, how do, and, and they do get caught up because that, I think those bills in the last part of session are really, it's all about politics then. Um, you know, so, so even more important to businesses, get your bill done early so it doesn't become a casualty of the political plays at the end of session. There you go. And well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for joining me today, Kathy. Thanks, Mike. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.